and sometimes with other people's children, left their homes with small bags in their hands because it was impossible to take much with you, cross the borders of Europe and are seeking refuge and protection among people in order to survive the horrors of unjust and brutal war. Our direction of ministry has also radically changed. Instead of returning to Ukraine, we came to Warsaw and started our work with the Word of Faith Church, which has become a refuge for many who have suffered. Church members with pastor. Faith without works is dead, but if each of us does something where he is, we can do a lot to spread the kingdom of God. The war came to us so unexpectedly that we did not even have time to prepare for it, either physically or morally. It became so cruel to the civilian population and especially to children. In their eyes you can see fear and the cry, help us. Hundreds of thousands of mothers with their children, and sometimes with other people's children, left their homes with small bags in their hands because it was impossible to take much with you, cross the borders of Europe and are seeking refuge and protection among people in order to survive the horrors of unjust and brutal war. Our direction of ministry has also radically changed. Instead of returning to Ukraine, we came to Warsaw and started our work with the Word of Faith Church, which has become a refuge for many who have suffered. Church members with Pastor Alexander Demyanenko and his team left their jobs to serve the needy. Tons of humanitarian aid are being sent to Ukraine. Every day there is a loading and unloading of necessary things medicine, clothes, food. Sometimes our team works till midnight with limited time for rest. The Ukrainian diaspora from all over the world, as well as the Assembly of God and its missionaries, are very much involved and their help is palpable. God helped us find a place for 18 people, which is unrealistic to find now, and we rented it for refugees where we keep them until they go to Spain. When we accommodated them, 34 people, two on one bed, none of them complained. In the morning, with a team of Spanish believers, we arrived to pick them up, expecting there would be noise and commotion. But surprisingly, it was very quiet and peaceful. They were so scared of war. With great love and prayer, we were sending them to distant Spain, where it takes all day to travel, with a prayer for their future and life. To one boy who went to Barcelona without parents, I gave a Bible, saying that only reading it would bring him blessings. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people back for refugees, providing transport, food, clothes, accommodation. Nowadays, more than a million of Ukrainians have arrived in Poland. They need physical, moral and spiritual help, and no psychologist will help them, only the Word of God and Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, we invite you to participate in this harvest, perhaps the last one, because the Lord is coming. and just sitting there, I just uh, am just amazed at how God is working in his people and through his people there. And I believe that out of the ashes, God's going to raise up an army in these last days. Amen. Let's join our faith together. Let's pray and believe God for the church, for the people of Ukraine. Father, Lord, we thank you today. God, we thank you that you're a great and a mighty God, that you're sovereign over all of the universe, Lord. And, Father, that you are all-powerful, God. And, Father, right now, Lord, we lift up this, this nation, Lord, the country of Ukraine, Lord God, the people of Ukraine. We lift them up to you, Lord God. Father, you see the destruction. You see the attacks and the war launched against them, Lord. You see the hurt the pain, Lord God, the suffering, Lord God. You see the destruction, the hunger, the sickness, Lord. Father, the hardships, Lord. Those that have been driven from their homes and have been scattered into near countries, Lord God. Father, we pray that you would intervene, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would minister, Father, to your church, Lord. Father, those that are scattered, Lord God, we pray for a special anointing upon them, Lord, that you would use them, Lord, to minister to others, to minister the hope that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord God. Father, we pray that you would bring good out of it, that indeed out of the ashes, Lord God, from such a terrible attack and tragedy, God, that you would raise up an army, Lord, in these last days, in these last hours, Lord God, an army of men and women, Lord God, that would stand for Jesus, Lord, in these last days. Father, we thank you, Lord. Let your gospel go forth, Lord, in power and might through each one of these situations, Lord. Father, we pray, God, for safety. We pray for, for uh, uh, Lord God, that you would move right now. Those that are still trying to get to shelter and get to safety, we pray that you would make a way for them, Lord. Father, we pray that you would do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think for this nation, Lord. We pray that many would come to know you. We pray for church leaders, God, that you would give them great wisdom. Lord, insight, anoint them with a special anointing, Lord. And we pray that hearts would cry out to you. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your hand is upon even uh, uh, that situation, God. And we just lift them up to you, all of your missionaries, God, we pray. Father, your hand of protection upon them. Continue to open doors of opportunity for them, Lord God, to further your kingdom. And Lord, we thank you that you're moving every heart, Lord, every hurt, every situation, God, that your hand is upon them, Lord. Father, we thank you for it today. That every need be met, Lord, we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's continue our prayers for Ukraine. Amen. And believe God to bring good out of it. Amen. Praise the Lord. At this time, our children uh, can be dismissed to Children's Church. And Pastor Joe Zaino is going to come and minister the word of God. God bless you. And if you want to give, if you haven't given to the Ukraine, just mark on an envelope, Ukraine, and our, our missions will get it to Springfield, and they'll get it to the missionaries. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 1. We're beginning a new series. We'll take about three months, and we'll walk through 1 Thessalonians. And this morning, we want to begin with our first message entitled, Where's the Beef? Or we can call it Marks of the Genuine Convert. Marks of the Genuine Convert. In 1 Thessalonians 1, and you know, this is a very short chapter. It's only 10 verses. So we'll read the whole chapter just to kind of give us a better background of what we're going to study. It begins, verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only to Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. <clears throat> Again, where's the beef or marks to the genuine convert? Now, this uh, particular book, 1 Thessalonians, was written to a very young church in a very hostile and anti-Christian environment and climate. Now, the background you'll find in the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, you'll see how Paul and Silas founded this church. They had just come from Philippi. You remember how they were imprisoned and God did the miracle there. But from Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. And as was Paul's custom, he went to the Jewish synagogue. And for three Sabbaths, three straight Sabbaths, he, he shared the gospel. The Bible says he reasoned from the scripture. He reasoned from the scripture, explaining and proving that Jesus had to die, suffer, die, and rise again. And he proclaimed to them that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And God moved in a powerful way. It was such a wonderful move of God that, well, some Jews were persuaded to believe. Beyond that, a large number of Greeks got saved. God-fearing Greeks came to Christ. 
And many prominent women from that city came to believe in the Lord. Many were converted. There was a great harvest of souls. But the Jews of the area became jealous when they saw this. So they rounded up a mob and they started a riot. Well, they searched for Paul and they couldn't find him. So when they couldn't find him, they got the man that was hosting Paul, the man by the name of Jason, and they brought him before the courts. They brought him before the authorities. They took some of the other brethren along with them. And here was their complaint, you see, in Acts 17. The men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here too. Or the men that have turned the world upside down are now messing in our city. They went on to say, these men defy Caesar's decree. And they declare there is another king, one by the name of Jesus. You see, blasphemy would be the worst crime for a Jew. But um, treason, supporting a rival king, now that's the worst accusation for the Roman. Now if Paul were present, he would have had to respond guilty as charged. Because indeed, he did preach another king. He preached the king of kings, the Lord Jesus. He preached the one that every knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess he's Lord. Caesar, Putin, the you name it, everyone will bow before this great and mighty king, the king of kings. Well, during the night, the brethren sent Paul and Silas away. They went to Berea and we got the Bereans. But now, to focus on that city of Thessalonica, very quickly, the background. It, it was a very strategic and important city to plant a church. It was the foremost city, it was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. It had the great harbor there. It had a population of some 200,000 people. Because it was also very a commercial site, people came in and out, affecting the whole area of the empire from that city. So you can imagine why the devil was so riled up when a church and God began to work there. Now, because Paul was forced to leave so abruptly, and the church was so young, you know, normally Paul would, would like to stay a year, two years, establishing the church, raising up leaders. He was gone in a matter of weeks, and because he had to leave so quickly, the church was young. They'd only received minimal training and instruction about the Christian life. On top of that, they're, they're birthed into the great pressure and the persecution of the enemy. So needless to say, Paul's concerned about these young Christians. So finally, when Paul can't get back there, he's a wanted man. He's, he's the one they're looking for. He's the one they're writing about. So he sends Timothy.
things were really hard, um, sometimes mom would just rewrap my older brother's hand-me-down that I was going to get anyway. So at least I had something to unravel. He goes, yeah, no, one, no, no, we didn't have much. And then he stopped. And I don't know if he was serving God or not. He stopped. And you see a smile come on the face of this, this NFL Hall of Famer. And he says, except for the church. There was always the church. Christmas time came. They know Mrs. Um, um, Mrs. Carter working those two jobs as a single mom still couldn't provide all that great for, for her slew of kids. And there was always the church. They would drop something off and give something to each one. And I don't know if he was serving God, but when he looks back, he sees there was a church. He gave God glory because there was something real out there. That they weren't all phony. Their good works brought praise to God. And spoke to a man's heart that, no, 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 there's something real about this. And there's someone genuine. You see, our good works bring praise to God. People might not always tell you in person, but they go home saying, thank you, Lord. I needed that call. I needed that bag of groceries. I needed that someone just to come and help me through that. They didn't realize that. Let your light so shine before the men might see our works and give God glory. When I work out my salvation... When I am a sincerely born-again believer living the way I ought to live, it proves that my confession is not just religious rhetoric. I really am born again. You can see it by the fruit. You can see it by the life. It also brings praise to God. But secondly, thirdly, I should say, it helps bring lives to salvation. You see, the witness of our life will either help or hinder the gospel in the earth. The witness of our works and our genuine Christian life testifies and actually prepares the hearts of men to receive. Our life, if lived out properly, helps people to believe this gospel is real and it's not just a shenanigans. 1 Peter 2 and 12. 1 Peter 2 and 12. Once again, let's remember how I live. period of time the believer's good life lived out before men influences the unbeliever to believe and respond to the good news it's one thing to say it but if I live the opposite of it it just dilutes it, it takes away the credibility they think that's a joke but when it's lived out before them, it might be years on the job of just living right and being a real Christian but when their time comes, they're open to hear the gospel from you. When their time comes, they know I've seen it lived out. And here it is, Peter saying that they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify God. When God visits them, when their time comes and God is dealing with them, not only will they hear it, they'll have seen it lived before them. And the life lived properly cements that gospel, brings credibility to the gospel. So when I live out my life, it proves the confession is real. When I have good works, Paul talked about this work of faith. 
I have good works. It proves that I'm not just I'm saying I'm a Christian. I really am a Christian. There's fruit. There's lifestyle evidence. But secondly, my good works bring glory to God. God is, as others are blessed, they praise God because we're doing the works of the Lord. We're doing what God's called us to do. But as I live it over a period of time, my life adds to the credibility of the gospel. And others, when their time comes, they go, I've seen it lived. I've seen it lived. I'll never forget a young man. He's um, been a decade now in the sheriff's department back north. And back home, a lot of times to get on the street, the, the ones that travel, you work in the, in the jail, and then you, you apply for that, and then you get out and you, you patrol. And he got the job in the, the jail part of it. And he goes, when I first got the job, I was warned about these two guys. They said, now listen, they're holy rollers, so, you know, they're just, you know. They're, you know, just, just keep an eye out, you know, just be, be alert to that. Now, they both went to our church, of course. And, um, but his testimony was this. He goes, I never grew up in church, but I always had a heart for God. My family never went to church, but I always had something that was interested in the Bible and about God. And when they said that about these two guys, I started to watch them. And I watched how they carried themselves with the prisoners and out doing our thing. I watched them. I watched them with the other men, the interaction. They carried themselves professionally. They never joined in the, the nonsense or the, the way they talked. And after a while, watching them for a few weeks, a few months, I said, man, these guys believe. These guys are real. And he goes, I approached them. I said, where do you guys go to church? This is, this is a decade or so later. That, that young man saved, his wife saved. All his kids grew up in the church. They got two men, lived the life in a very real and hard setting, and someone could watch and say, yeah, this thing is real. You can't really live this life, even in a hard setting like being in law enforcement. So again, it helps bring souls to salvation. But lastly, lastly, proves our confession, brings praise to God. What's that next PowerPoint tell us? It helps bring souls to salvation. And number four, it gets the job done. Let's say that together. It gets the job done. Because everyone knows that talk is cheap. It is cheap. And well wishes aren't going to feed anyone in the Ukraine or pay the bills. But the work that faith produces, when it's a real faith in Christ, there's a work. And that work visits the lonely and feeds the hungry and cares and teaches the children. That work goes to the unlovely and the unwanted and tells them the good news of a loving Savior and a wonderful Jesus. That's what fixes the roof, and that's what funds the missionary. And that's what fights for the righteous cause, to lift up the oppressed and to stand against wickedness. There's an action to faith. So Paul gives praise to God because he could see some real evidence the work produced by true faith in the lives of these believers. So he recognized authentic, saving faith produces righteous deeds and righteous living. Can you say amen? Now we know no one can earn salvation. Nobody can merit it. We don't not by our works. We don't get to heaven by our works. But good works will verify the reality of someone that's truly been saved and born from above. So number one, Paul is rejoicing. Where's the beef? One of the clear evidences that Paul saw they had a work produced by faith. Their faith was producing something. The MN could see. But secondly, he talked about their labor prompted by love. 
He says, not only your work produced by faith, but your labor prompted by love. Now, at first, we just look at this casually, and it kind of seems like it's the same thing as number one, but there's a difference. You see, work points to the thing done, whatever the achievement was. But labor indicates the pains, the effort, the exertion, the sacrifice involved in doing it. Love inspired, love inspired. I like that. I like that. Love prompted. Labor prompted by love. Now, the word labor in the Greek, it speaks of um, really um, laboring toil. That unceasing hardship born for love's sake. Common examples when we take care of an ill loved one. That duty, that devotion that goes the extra mile. It's love and labor is prompted by love. Dr. Jeremiah writes, love is costly, requiring the exertion of energy and labor on our behalf towards the object of that love, whether it be God or man. So great is our concern for that person, for that need, for that object, whether it be Jesus, the brethren, the lost, that love doesn't complain and love doesn't gripe and love does not just stop with the original effort. But love goes the extra mile and beyond. He's talking about how love was inspiring that labor. That they were laboring, but it was being motivated and fueled by their love for Christ and their love for others. Again, I read a story about love and some children were asked about love and what is love? And one little girl answered, love is when your mommy reads you a bedtime story. True love is when she doesn't skip any pages. Amen. <laughs> That's going the extra mile. Amen. That's going the extra mile. Some of y'all, you go from page one to eight. All right, bedtime. Good night. Jesus loves it. Good Johnny. Good night. Amen. I just made up my own stories. So I come in for a land at any time. Amen. Zoom. All right. I don't know if they're tired, but daddy is. Time to go. Paul gives thanks for their labor of love. Effort that could be seen in their service and in their sacrifice. In their excellence and their refusal to complain or flee. Because what they did for Christ, it wasn't drudgery, it wasn't legalism. It was a labor of love. All they did, all they went through, all they gave up, all they put up with, all they endured and accomplished in standing up for Christ... It was labor birthed from love. Because serving the Lord is a privilege. Serving the Lord is an honor. Of course, the supreme example has to be the greatest labor of love is God's love for you and God's love for me. How he sent his one and only son. That's the greatest, oh my. The most moving, most touching, powerful expression of love. The Bible says God demonstrated his love. Oh, you and I were still sinners. He died for us. And then the Bible says that love has been poured out in our hearts. So we possess that love. And we should be motivated by that love. And we should allow that love to move us as we do our works for God, as we live faithfully for God. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. Paul says, I can live all out because I so love Christ. That thing moves me. And you know that when you really love someone, you go the extra mile. When you really love someone, you don't even think about the sacrifice of it. You don't even think about the burden of it. You just go with something else, something deeper than what we can normally talk about. There's something deeper within you that drives you and energizes you. And that's love for that individual. You know that. You stay up all night for certain people. Go, what the love does, love does that. That's why it's important to fall in love with Jesus. 
Don't, don't just know a theory. Don't just know a theology. Fall in love with the person of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Walk with this Jesus. Love this Jesus. Talk to this Jesus. Let him become your best, best, best friend. And when you love him, what's that old song? Things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Yeah, when you fall in love with Jesus. Amen? Anyone out there remember falling in love with anybody? Come on. Some of you men better say amen. You're going to get an elbow. Man, when, I mean, when you fell in love, it was always too short on the phone, right? I, when you fell in love, it was never, I mean, when you fell in all oh, everything, when you, love, love, love is a powerful thing. Isn't it right? Love is a powerful thing. You know you go through things with your kids you wouldn't go through for five minutes with anyone else's kids. Not the same love, man. Not the same love. Love is power. Paul says, they, they, your love has been producing this labor. You guys went all out. Why'd you go all out? Because you love the Lord so much. Because this thing was real. Oh, yeah. We ask ourselves this morning, does my Christian experience include a labor of love for the Lord? A labor of love for the one that first loved me? Genuine service, a genuine sacrifice, a, a willingness to go the extra mile. Not because I have to, not because I've been legalized or condemned into it, but because I love the Lord so much, I'm willing. It's a privilege and an honor. Remember that early church, one time they got beat, and the Bible says they left rejoicing because they were beat for Jesus. Amen? They considered that an honor. Wow. An honor. An honor. One writer put it like this, love makes the hardness of the task insignificant. Love turns sacrifice into privilege and suffering into honor. Authentic Christianity has always been defined by loving Christ and loving the people of Christ. Always, always, always. Paul's saying, where's the beef for the genuine convert? The genuine convert. And we found out so far this morning that faith is an action word that produces. And if our faith is genuine, there'll be a response in our lives. Amen? There's an expression in how we live. But love, we found out, goes the extra mile. Love has an effort to it. L- love is not just a Hallmark card that makes me, gives me warm. That's indigestion, that little warm feeling. No, that's, no, no love has an action to it. Amen? Uh, love has a labor to it. Isn't that right? Take some tums. Amen? And now we finally get to hope. Hope, man. Hope in Jesus Christ fuels and focuses our endurance on this march of faith. Hope gives you and I the perseverance to continue on without giving up, without going back, without breaking down, and enables us to be finishers, and enables us to be overcomers and more than conquerors. Hope does that. Paul writes here in the third verse, this third point, endurance inspired by hope. What kept them going? Their hope in the Lord Jesus. There's something, they had a, a fa- something in the future. They, they knew Christ was returning. They knew this world was not all that. Don't think this world is all that. It's not. There's something better coming. Something more important coming. Endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. They kept motivating them and keeping them through the tough times that kept them going, when temptation called, kept them denying. It kept them fueled and kept them focused. 
Paul writes, And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The persecutions could not stop them from continuing on, but their hope was in Christ and it gave them an enduring power. The temptation of that world to turn back and to compromise and to be diverted and distracted couldn't draw them away from remaining pure and separated unto God. Their hope in Christ, it was like an anchor to their soul. It steadied them and kept them going forward. They had a faith that understood that Jesus was presently reigning, but also that he was soon returning. And they were, they were settled that they would not be caught unprepared to meet the Lord. They had a hope. They had a hope. Our hope in Christ. You know, Barclay writes, a man can endure anything so long as he has hope. For then he walks not to the night, but to the dawn. When you have hope, hope for the Christian is a futuristic faith. It's a confidence and a certainty that a better day is coming. That it won't always be like this. And it keeps us going. It keeps us going. I wouldn't take nothing from my journey now, right? And that's one of the old songs. Right? I wouldn't, uh, uh, there's nothing you can do now that would keep me. But there's something greater coming. And I believe that. And I'm persuaded of that. I have a hope in the Lord Jesus. He's returning. And this world's not my home. And that keeps me enduring. That keeps me from compromising. That keeps me from quitting. In fact, I like how. David said towards that end of that wonderful Psalm 27, last second to the last verse in that psalm, he says, Surely I, I would have fainted. I would have given up. I would have quit if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David saying, listen, you know what? Life had hit me. Life was overwhelming me. And if I didn't have some hope, if I didn't believe that God was going to come through, if I didn't believe that God was still in control, it would have been easy just to give up, to go home and say, I quit. What's the use of it? I'm going back to the old life. But because I believe, my times are still in his hands. And he's still in control of my life. And he is working all things together for good. Even when I can't see it, feel it, or understand it. Because I believe I have hope. I'm going to keep loving Jesus. I'm going to keep serving Jesus. If life knocks me down, I'm going to get up and keep walking with Jesus. If life tries to ensnare me or attack me or entangle me, I'm going to rise up and break free and go forward. Because I have a hope. Christ is returning. And I'm going to be ready when he comes. Can you say amen? Amen. The genuine convert wears the beef. Faith has an evidence. If you're a person of faith, there needs to be an evidence that you really are born of God and you're serving Jesus. Love has an effort. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not just a talking. Love is a labor. Love shows itself in going the extra mile. And hope gives us an endurance. For the Christian, hope is not wishful thinking. That's a a human definition. Our hope is a confident expectation. Hope gives us an expectation. Something's coming. Something's coming. Christ is coming. Victory is coming. Amen? The new day is coming. It will be worth it all is coming. So we pray, Lord, help us to live out what we believe and confess. 
and by the fruit and evidence of our lives, let it be known that we belong to Jesus. Let the testimony of our lives ring out. Let those around us be able to testify. They're real. They're genuine. We've watched them. We've seen them in the good times and in the bad. They're the real thing. I might not agree with it, but they do. And they live it out. Let that be the evidence of our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. As we close up and we open the altars, may we examine ourselves. The only way to grow. You might not like it, but you've got to get on the scale every now and again. Amen. (laughs) Keeps me honest. Keeps me honest. Accountability keeps me honest. I'm going to measure myself. See how I'm doing. Amen. I'm going to measure. Where do I at? Where do I need to improve? Where do I need to improve? See, after I measure myself, if I can be honest. You want to grow in God, you've got to be honest. I'm going to measure myself, then where do I need to grow? Lord, help me to grow in this area. Help me to work on this area. Amen? Amen. If you need prayer, we'll pray for you. Believe God to touch you. God is awesome. He's in this place. We'll sing our final song and open the altar. And let's just search our hearts. Let's make a fresh altar. Lord, I want to be like this group. I want my testimony to be seen by others. I want to be real. I want to be, I want, where's the beef? I want them to see it in me. Amen? I want people to see reality. I, we got enough people, you know, enough people. You know, I'll tell one more and then I got to go. I, I, I love this story. I hate to waste it at the end here. But, um, you know, they got so many people that, that can bellyache. All right? And they're hypocrites, hypocrites. Man said to Brother Shabbat one time, I don't go to church. There's hypocrites in the church. You know what he said? He said, don't let the hypocrites send you to hell. He's going with you. He says, live right, live right. Then he finished up. He said, live right and teach the hypocrite how to live. Can you say?